Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today, we continue our discussion of the Star Trek The Next Generation novel, Q Squared, by Peter David. First up, our reminder that Peter David's family is fundraising to cover medical expenses. There's a link in our show notes. I just don't think people should have to go bankrupt because of a health crisis. Wild. I don't think it should depend on us either. No, no. If only you had some sort of system. If only we had some sort of system. Mm. You could say that about many things. Absolutely. Gosh, poor America. So, so we're talking about a book. We want to get through this quickly because it's Annika's bedtime. Uh, and I mean, honestly, this is so much happens and nothing happens in the uh, section of the book where we are. I was it's, trying to think of a nice way to put it. <laughs> there's a lot of build up, mm-hmm. but the pressure is building up and it hasn't got, it's going to go off next time. <laughs> but at the same time, we go wildly <laughs> across space and time and we are you know first introduced to our third track and everything sort of really starts to fall into place just in time to fall completely out of place i think save the cat would call this going from the midpoint to the turn into act three so devastating things always happen at the midpoint and then act three is where the climax happens so track A, this is, I think, I think we spend most of our time in track A in this section. Yes, yes we do. Certainly do. Track B and C are introduced together. Once we move off of track A, we hit up with track B, which is our canon track, and then track C, which is the dark, terrible track that is related to Rachel Garrett failing to save Klingons in Mm. time so that the Klingons go to war for many, many years. It's yesterday's Enterprise, but make it worse. (laughs) Yesterday's Enterprise and Crazy Riker in in the wharf in parallels. Yes. So all of those terrible, those terrible places. Very sad. But we actually start on a pretty light note over in track A with Tommy Riker running into literally Commander Picard. And I think it's fair to say that they don't really hit it off. <laughs> one of my favourite scenes in the whole book, though, because Tommy is such a brat and he gives absolutely no quarter to Jean-Luc Picard. He's like, I do not care that you are an authority figure. Tommy acts like Picard is a brat too, and it's just delightful. Mm. And at one point, so they crash into each other, and Picard is like, you know, you should apologize to the little rapscallion. <laughs> and Tommy thinks that Picard should apologize. This is obviously entirely his fault because he wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and they go back and forth a bit, and Picard says, well, you're a precocious little monster. <laughs> and I wrote again into my book, takes one to know one. Yes. It really felt like 
Tommy was bringing Picard back to his youth, his mm. misspent youth. I feel like Tommy is written as Bart Simpson in this scene. You know, the whole, I'm Bart Simpson, who the hell are you? Mm-hmm. I read it last night because I left everything to the last minute. I read it last night and I was like, is Tommy being written too young? But at the same time, I don't think he is. I think he's an incredibly smart kid. As Picard says, he's precocious as hell. And he's also in his way very sheltered by his loving family. And he's being a brat very intentionally. And I think it's funny that like two scenes later, he's telling his mother how much he wants to join Starfleet. But it feels true to his character. Yes, he's very sheltered. And again, also, he's that human stuck Mm. on Betazoid. So I think that, again, it's a defense mechanism Mm. for him to just be on the offense at all times. Especially with strange adults, yeah. Right. But in the later scene with Deanna, Mm. we do get the suggestion that he does have some (laughs) Betazoid genes popping through. He has visions, and he has visions of what we, as the reader know, are the other tracks, the other timelines. Which is interesting because Betazoids can read minds, but they can't see the future. They're not psychic in that way. But something about Tommy... I don't know, I feel like you run the risk of Tommy being a massive Gary Stew, but he is sidelined enough that it doesn't really matter. He is a plot device, certainly, but all my favourite characters are plot devices, so I'm okay with it. I am three episodes into Star Trek Picard, and I have a lot of feelings about the Gary Stew discourse evolving around Jack Crusher, but I'm trying to withhold an opinion until the end of the series. Again... All my favorite characters what? are no, plot devices. No. <laughs> like, literally, it's the thing that I like, is, like, the characters who are a little too smart for mm. the story, that they almost know that they're in a story and are pointing that out to me as the audience who pays attention to that stuff. Right, yes. But this is a much better written story, Q Squared, than season three of Picard. And I think Tommy can be a brat if he wants to. He, he's about to go through some pretty traumatic stuff. So, yeah. Do you want to talk about Wounded Riker? The reunion? Poor Riker. Okay, so Riker is such a tragic figure. Mm. He is the opposite of Tommy, really. Yes. Because he's entirely introverted. He's entirely shielded and guarded and hiding himself and has no concept of his own identity. Whereas, you know, Tommy is so confident in himself, even as a defense mechanism, whereas Riker doesn't know anything about who he is or Mm. where he's going or anything that's happening to him. He's completely dependent on Worf as like the only person who he recognizes outside of himself. And he's known Worf for like a day, (laughs) maybe a week by now. (laughs) He's sort of imprinted on Worf, like a duckling imprinting on a terrifying mother. I mean, but it's adorable. It's such a fun version of their relationship Mm. even though it's completely so sad everything about it is sad so they 
get Worf and Riker onto the ship and mm-hmm. Riker goes, you know, he he's put through a bunch of medical tests and they decide to get him a haircut and clean him up before he gets to see his family. Does not go very well. I was going to say, I'm sorry, but I knew, like, even without having read the book before, I knew that was going to be a bad idea. Like, give the man a Xanax before you send him off with a stranger to be touched and, you know, have his hair cut by another stranger. Having any instruments like that, you know, Mm. medical instruments in the future are very... Not invasive. You're not invasive. But... Clippers (laughs) Clippers <laughs> are going to be, you know, are going to seem like a torture instrument mm. to someone like Wounded Riker. We've all so. seen schisms. We know that even Worf is vulnerable to the psychological impact of a, of a pair of barber's scissors. Riker freaks out and has to be sedated in order to get his hair cut. And this and... is my favourite Nurse Geordie scene because <laughs> Mott refuses to you know, quaff the man who just attacked him. And Geordie's like, okay, I'll do it. And I'll do a really bad job and I'll tell everyone it was you and you were drunk. Nurse <laughs> Geordie continues to be the best person. <laughs> the absolute best. He's so wonderful. I just want to pick Nurse Geordie up and pluck him into our cannon. Yes, exactly. And then the saddest part is that he meets up with his family and... He does not recognize Deanna no. as Deanna. He's still asking for Deanna after having her in front of him. I read that and I was like, this is the worst thing anyone has ever done. <laughs> My emotions. <laughs> Particularly for this couple that has mm. now become the central Mm. romance of the next generation at the time this book was written you know again she was the wharf <laughs> at this point mm-hmm. and we hadn't had the reunion that eventually you know becomes so important to the whole group it's yeah. not just the two of them they're like the glue that holds everybody together yeah i love wharf in this timeline because we finally get a scene with him outside of the context of caring for Riker mm-hmm. and he's yes. talking to Captain Crusher and he is just fully paranoid. He's like, just so you know, anyone in the Federation could be a Romulan spy. And I'm like, A, that is extremely paranoid and crazy. Also, I've seen Star Trek Picard, so I'm like, yeah, that seems pretty plausible, actually. It's great. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit like, you know... Again, I just really like the relationship between mm. Riker and Worf in this timeline that is completely new. They don't know each other at all, and yet he's the only person that Riker cares about at this point, clings to in some way. Mm. And yet, outside of like, you're like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> No, Worf, that's bad. We don't. I don't want Riker to be depending on you because you're a crazy person. <laughs> so this is bad. Like you're, you're like you and on Worf. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's just, it's just bad. It's all bad all around. Now, again, obviously, horrible things are happening in his timeline. 
Yes. He, he turns out to be justified in some ways, but it's, there's, because I, I, we're reading along and, and like, oh, how sweet he's taking care of Riker, even though he, he doesn't really know him and how lovely. And then he is separated from Riker and he just becomes a different person. <laughs> and then I, then whom I want him to be. It's like that heel turn. It's, they're mm-hmm. very effective, but no, Worf, no. <laughs> it makes me think, you know, if Worf ever had a child, he could be a really good dad. Imagine if Worf had a child. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's never, we're, we're never going to talk about that again, <laughs> apparently. I also love that scene with Jack because it is very necessary at this point that we see Jack Crusher being the captain, separate mm. from his friendship with Picard or his awful relationship with Beverly because he's meant to be this great captain and I feel like this is the only time we see any hint of it outside of his personal family psychodrama. The way that the book begins mm. going right into his family psychodrama, it really does a disservice to, yeah. to Jack Crusher yeah. because absolutely he is being the captain here and there's like a funny scene with the minister of Terminus or whatever mm. and and, and he's has this, you know, sort of rye back and forth with him because the minister is also super <laughs> paranoid and convinced that terrible things are happening and that you know how dare starfleet hold up his stuff and and get him stuck with this annoying klingon and all of this stuff and jack is just sort of like i'm so sorry that your day was <laughs> <laughs> was like we took up six hours of, of your time mm-hmm. how how dare we there's like the inkling of this is the type of leader he is. I keep comparing Jack Crusher in this book to Liam Shaw in Star Trek Picard because I feel like in some ways they're very similar characters. Shaw is, well, I don't like how he speaks to his female crew, but he doesn't seem to be as misogynist. But they're both sort of introduced as new characters coming into a, a familiar milieu. And Shaw is introduced being gruff and abrasive but we know him before we learn about his trauma whereas with Jack it's basically hello here I am here is my trauma here is the worst (laughs) side of my personality and I really do think on a character building level you need to get to know a character a bit you need to sort of make small talk with them before you can go full psychodrama Mm -hmm. right I was listening to our last episode and <laughs> counting how many times I said I hate him. <laughs> I was like, oh dear, I sound like I have a real problem here. <laughs> and it's irrational, I think. It's a, it's a I am defensive of my characters, <laughs> who he is mm. so terrible towards. And also that I, again, I really want to like him, that I'm... <laughs> he reminds me of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> please explain (laughs) in this way where there's a version of Jar Jar Binks that I really like that is like an interesting character and I want that character to exist but the canon character is so bogged down with being the joke Mm. and the lowest possible 
humor on purpose mm-hmm. and also with being like the idiot savant type yeah all that and a character stereotype yeah and so there's too much baggage mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess for me to i can see the character that i want him to be but i can't shine a light on that because there's too much other stuff in the way and so i get upset because i want to like this character i want to have this good relationship with the character and with the story and the reality of the, the canonical story <laughs> gets in the way yeah for me it's all that plus i have read this book before and i know that jack's story basically ends in intimate partner violence and that's kind of a deal breaker for me like that is i can't yeah, no yes i can't that, get i mean that's that. definitely Again, that's what I'm saying is like my my defense mm. of the characters that I care about. And it's written as a how sad for him to mm. have become this. And I'm like, sorry, I don't feel sorry for him. Mm. It's much like how I think we're to some extent meant to feel bad for Maurice Picard in season two of Picard. And it's like, mm, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't feel sorry for him. No. <laughs> No. So, I think that, oh, oh, yes, I was going to say that covers everything in track A except the Q stuff, but I almost forgot Beverly and Picard touch hands. It's a very big deal. (laughs) It's a very big deal. (laughs) So, they are continuing to have their intimate relationship, Mm -hmm. their (laughs) secret Yep. intimate relationship and Jordy is helping to cover for them and because he's the best because he's the best and we don't really of course we don't ever get to spend any time with beverly and know what she's feeling but <laughs> that's hilarious what a, what a silly idea that would be but picard at least is very he, he you know has a, a a line where he is caught between being deliriously happy and being afraid to be deliriously happy Mm. and so they're happy and hiding yes i think this might be the origin of my love for the secret relationship so they're in the transporter room waiting for Worf and riker to beam on board they're alone, other than, I assume, a transporter chief. Miles O'Brien! <laughs> but... The transporter chief! <laughs> the transporter chief! <laughs> and Beverly, you know, dares to flitter her fingers over towards Jean-Luc's, mm-hmm. and they brush fingers in a little, you know, ha-ha-ha, our secret mm-hmm. relationship <laughs> type way, and Jack of course at that moment walks in and thinks did i see that were they touching fingers <laughs> and immediately leads to this you know conclusion of oh are they having a secret affair behind my back oh ha 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 how silly that's ridiculous they would never which is all very funny and not how things work but is perfect for the story <laughs> I like his conclusion that 
John Luke is absolutely not Beverly's type and she would never be into him because it just kind of shows how little he knows her, how little he's ever known her. Can I say, I have read multiple Picard Crusher fics where Jack and Beverly are like figuring out how to give him the signal that they would like to open up their marriage to include one French nerd. Like, hey, we saw you across (laughs) the bridge and we really liked your vibe. Anyway, the other bit in that scene is Jack realising that at some point Beverly is going to move on and he's going to have to cope. And I'm like, buddy, you've been divorced for 10 years. She is Beverly fucking Crusher. She's not been sleeping alone that whole time. Like, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm pretty sure she said she was sleeping alone that that whole time earlier in the book. (laughs) I think you're right, but I'm going to double check. My oh Jack reasons I want to punch you in the face part of that whole musing is that one of the reasons that obviously Jean-Luc Picard would never be her type is that he's nothing like Jack Crusher and I was just like I cannot I cannot with you he's so focused on himself Mm. that Obviously, if Beverly was married to him, mm. then the only person that she would ever be interested in again would be someone like him. Yes, and he presents it as this universal <laughs> fact. You know, it's, yes, a well, you, I, it's well known that divorced what? women go for men who remind them of their ex-husbands. And I'm like, I don't think that's a thing, Jack. I think you made that up. Yeah, I, I think you did. Also, I just double-checked, and Beverly does indeed say that there has been no one for her <laughs> since Picard. And... I choose to believe she is flattering him because it just seems unlikely. It depends on how you see relationships, I suppose. I guess. I think this this was the 90s and the idea that women should, if not be chaste and pure, have as few sexual partners as possible was still a thing. Is still a mm-hmm. thing now. I understand the kids call it a body count. So, yeah. I like it in the context of Emperor Giorgio, who absolutely (laughs) has a very large body count in every sense of the word. It's Asian American, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander month. Yes. And Paramount Plus is celebrating. They have across the top, there's one of the banners that scrolls through and it's like, you know, here are ways that you can celebrate these identities with our shows and Giorgio is front and center like there's a giant oh. Michelle Yo right in the middle oh gosh and I'm sort of like not any of those things but I understand the, uh, <laughs> I get why they're using her as their celebration Michelle Yo is 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 big news right now mm. but the version of Emperor <laughs> Giorgio that they have chosen for this is the black corset outfits from the like Orion Klingon colony her brothel visiting outfit her brothel visiting outfits oh guys Paramount is just so bad at this I just can't the whole thing is so funny to me because I'm just sitting there going she's Malaysian (laughs) and that is not the outfit you choose to celebrate a powerful woman for your event. Just 
it's bad. <laughs> it's bad all around. No. Oh, God. Speaking of bad all around, we have this long section with Q's stream of consciousness. I'm not saying it's actively bad. I remember on like my second or third reading, I forced myself to sit down and read the whole thing instead of skimming. And you do better than I. Well, it was quite I good. I can't. No, it I was really, asleep. really hard. Like I could never <laughs> read James Joyce because I really depend on like sentence structure and punctuation and okay. stuff. There's this repetition of, okay, here's the thing. And I am a big fan of the podcast, My Favourite Murder, and one of their slogans is, here's the thing, fuck everyone. And that's kind of just what I wanted to plaster all over that section. I think it was good, but I don't think that I liked it. I think it went on, it goes on for like five pages. I think it maybe only needed one page. And also, we skip around, like, we keep coming back to it. Yeah. It's like, and now, let's check in with Q. Oh, he's still lost in nonsense. Mm. Like, literal Wonderland nonsense <laughs> stuff. Trelane has quote-unquote killed him, which basically means reducing him to the merest, most powerless idea. Adams. Yeah, hanging out in the galactic barrier, which I still think is a concept that doesn't deserve thinking about too hard. And then it turns out... <laughs> In what I think is the weakest section of this book, that it was this proto-Q who possessed Gary Mitchell. Yeah. As you say in your notes, we never need Gary Mitchell. We never need to go back to that. Unnecessary. No. And this is me. I love repetition and I mm. love echoes and I love stories lining up. Mm. But that is too cute for me. <laughs> it's yeah. one bit too far. Trelane being a Q makes perfect sense. It is obvious that Trelane is proto-Q. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's absolutely accurate to reality. I saw online a take that Trelane and Q Jr. are the same character. Mm. Voyager's Q Jr., which would mean that Q is Trelane's dad. And Color Q, Susie Plaxton Q is <laughs> is the mom, which I was like, I'm all for that. That sounds good. Yeah. I like that headcanon, especially since Q likes to play with time and go back and forth. And mm. so the idea that he's younger in the future makes sense. But again, I just hate Gary Mitchell so much. <laughs> I hate the entire arc of Gary Mitchell and the whole like, I don't like the story to begin with, mm. so so I, I just don't want to go back there. And making it destroyed Q, Adam's Q, is like, no, it's unnecessary. But also, I, I struggle. So I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm trying really hard to pay attention to even anything that's happening. And then we get to, and then Gary Mitchell, and I'm like, no! <laughs> <laughs> and trying to make the Kirk grave which has his the wrong initial on it like have that be related to all this track stuff and i'm just like oh, just stop trying to explain things that don't need to be explained i think because i'm watching star trek picard which is as you said the other day in our discord extremely written with reply guys in mind this is what i'm thinking as i'm reading this book not everything needs to be explained i prefer when they're not explained mm. let us fill in the blanks 
Yeah, I think it's useful for a writer to think about these things and have an answer if they're asked and to keep everything internally consistent, but it doesn't need to be there on the page. Right, exactly. So your note here, Trillane's parents are that classic Star Trek (laughs) combo of stern scientist male and incredibly hot woman female. And I didn't even notice that. (laughs) Literally, the note here is Annika's inability to follow Q's stream of consciousness. (laughs) I sit there and I try and I read the sentences three times in a row and I don't know what happens. I paid attention to that bit because I read a review of this book which said that it's hinted that Q is Trelane's real father. And again, I don't think we need this level of melodrama in the Q continuum. But then it made me pay more attention to his parents and that incredibly classic mm. Star Trek dynamic. It's hinted at the end. Oh, okay. That scene hasn't happened yet. Okay. I know I know what happens. Again, it's a it's one of those things where did you understand, Liz, that the Q drama and the Picard Crusher drama is the same drama? Oh my god. Are you saying that Q and Picard are somehow linked on some oh my metaphysical? Goodness. Wow, I never <laughs> thought of that. So for that reason, it has to be suggested that. Right. And I also like when I read that. Every time, I always think about the floating idea that Wesley was going to be revealed to be mm. Jean Luc's son at some point Mm -hmm. that there was like this early on in the which is nonsense obviously some sort (laughs) of late reveal about a secret child is just silly and should never be done look stop being mean about my (laughs) perfect wonderful precious baby boy jack crusher I love your perfect, wonderful, precious baby boy, Jack Crusher. I just think the writing is silly. Perhaps the writing is silly. (laughs) I think that is a fair statement. I just don't care. As WGA strikes and we learn more and more about conditions under which these shows are written, a lot of things make sense to me. Anyway, track C. This is... Yesterday's Enterprise, except there are no survivors on the Enterprise C and the ship is too badly damaged to be salvaged. They blow it up. They have to (laughs) blow it up. There's no opportunity to send it back in time to fulfil its destiny. And the war is going very badly. Both Riker and Picard get little inner monologues about how badly the war is going. And how if that ship had succeeded in Mm. in saving the Klingons, it would all have been averted. Yeah. And so they're sad. They're sad about it. Mm. So my issue Mm. with Traxy, my number one issue, is that Guinan exists (laughs) on, on that ship. And it just seems a little absurd to me that the Enterprise D... As a warship with no children, just Mm. a whole bunch of extra marines would still have their listener bartender lady. I feel like she's in yesterday's Enterprise and she's such a big part of that episode that you really can't exclude her from track C. And 
like she runs the rec room or mess hall or whatever it is. Someone needs to be in charge of that space, I guess. Uh, she'll do a better job than Neelix. And <laughs> maybe as a listener, as an Elorian, this is where she wants to be to observe the war. There, explained. Uh, I mean, very good, very good. You did that well. So Guinan goes up to tell Picard that something is wrong. I think that's another scene more or less out of yesterday's Enterprise. Yes, but it is like they're not on the same track. (laughs) Yeah. It's the the wrong Guinan or the wrong Picard are having the conversation. So our Guinan, when our Picard goes to talk to her, is like, don't know what you're talking about. That didn't happen. (laughs) And this, you know, war Guinan. Ooh, war Guinan. War Guinan. Can someone please draw war Guinan? Yeah. So Wargainen tried to talk to her captain and it, it didn't go. It didn't happen. And no, so she wound up on our Enterprise. It's one of those disconnects. Yeah. Which must have been very, she must have been so confused. I mean, she, she is confused because she's like, why is there a Klingon on the bridge? Why are there lights? Why are all these kids hanging yeah. out here? What's going on? And our Picard is like, so... That's how it's always been, Guinan. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel bad for War Guinan because yeah. she was actually trying to do something and failed. No. Through, through no fault of her own. Also, as Picard goes down to 10 forward to check in on Guinan, because she's Guinan and he's Picard and he takes her very seriously, he once again runs into some children and these are properly respectful, adorable Enterprise types. Basically the opposite of Tommy Riker. They're the ones who participated in Captain Picard Day. Yes. One of the children. Yeah. So they're younger and they're precious, well-behaved little angels who just get a little rambunctious. And I guess that's, yeah, I love a parallel. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. track B and C, the lines are blurring and Trelane is going quite mad. Mm-hmm. So this is where we get double Trelanes. <laughs> mm, and the continuation of a scene from earlier. Right, where he was looking into a mirror mm. and was dragged into the mirror by his quite mad counterpart. Yes, from a day or so in the future, really. The story is that our Trelane, I guess, mm-hmm. our Trelane, who is on track A, he has a bad day, you know, with his Winnie the Pooh <laughs> fun times. Yes. And he's sad in his quarters and he's looking in the mirror and it is not his reflection. It is a mm-hmm. a reflection and it is him, but it is a different version of himself, a slightly older version of himself. And what happens is Archerlane is dragged to the center of the universe or something Mm. and he absorbs the wild energy that is at the center of the universe and goes and loses his mind because it is too much even for a Q to handle and goes quite mad and then that Trelane goes and starts it all over again by dragging Mm. his past self into it. So it's one of those time paradox Mm. circle what are they called? Like a like a Terminator loop. Yeah, it's um, a paradox. 
But I think this book is particularly good at paradoxes and circles and repetitions and parallels. I know I just said the yes. same thing several times, but I was making my point. <laughs> yes. I like that Trelane does it to himself. Mm. It gives him that little tragic sheen. They, because he is a young... He's a young Q. He's just a kid. <laughs> and he doesn't know any better. And he was just... He was sad, and so, like, as a child, trying to soothe himself in some way, and it went very poorly. Mm. And so I like the time paradox of the Trelane who messes everything up for himself, because it also... Winnie the Pooh Trelane is a sweetheart. <laughs> he has too much He has too much power, mm. and he's a brat, and he's a Q, so, like... You know, baseline terrible. Yes. But in comparison <laughs> to mm. to terrible, <laughs> to quite mad Trelane, you can see that, you know, in, in sort of the same way that I can concede that our Q has the potential of not being the worst all the time, mm. that he can grow and change and be nicer, maybe there's that potential. Maybe he never actually does it in canon, but he could be. You know, I can sort of see that in Trelane as well. But much like the worst Jack Crusher, the worst Trelane cannot. Like, he's he's mm. too far gone and, and, you know, eventually has to be destroyed. And it is, of course, the worst Trelane, the quite mad Trelane, who pulled the shenanigans in the turbo lift with Martinez and Deanna. So, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think Trelane at the beginning of the story is redeemable much like jack at the beginning of the story is redeemable again we have the parallels right yes and there and that, again this is you know what i mean with the jar jar thing is that there is this story and i'm like obviously this is much better written than jar jar yes and and you know and also i just want to say that i have nothing against the performance of jar jar it is no no wholly the writing <laughs> yeah Ahmed Best does not deserve to be held responsible for Jar Jar Binks, and it's embarrassing that we even have to say that. Exactly. But there's this really interesting story mm. about Trelane and Jack Crusher being lonely mm. beings who reach out to each other, similar to how Jean-Luc and Q are... Mm drawn to each other there's this really interesting story that is not actually being told no but i think in some ways it is because picard and q arguably make each other much better trelane and jack make each other much much worse worse yeah 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 it's very interesting if we like really tease that out and bring it to the you know what is the difference why do jack and trelane make each other worse whereas john luke and q make each other better and it's the people around them and the relationships mm. that they have that mm. that John Luke is not alone, even though he might hold himself back from his people. He mm. has a very supportive group of people right around him all the time. And Jack does not have that. Allegedly his XO is his best friend and he doesn't know anything <laughs> about him. Allegedly, the love of his life is his doctor and he doesn't know her at all either mm. <laughs> and, and they are 
literally hiding a relationship behind his back. But also, track B is basically the era of encounter at Farpoint, and Picard didn't have those relationships at that stage either. He just wasn't put under the same pressure that Jack is. It takes seven years for that family to build itself around Picard. True. That's one of the things that's confused me about... I understand why Peter David chose to set it at that time period, but it doesn't make sense for the parallel universes. They should they should be at parallel. You know, I think it's Q or someone has some sort of line about, oh, they're just not in sync. And so it goes track A, encounter at far point, track C, roughly season three, track B, season seven. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a contrivance, but it's not one that really bugged me. I don't think it needed to be explained. <laughs> I don't think it needs to be explained either. It's just, it's just interesting because mm. it works with the inverted inverted relationship anyway mm. because that's inverted too. Yeah, season seven, yeah. season one. It makes perfect sense for everything. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting. <laughs> yes. I don't know that we have much else to say. Do you have anything to add? No, I'm I'm looking forward to everything going quite mad Mm. next Mm. week and when Uh, we wrap up yes you have to be paying attention to what you're reading Mm. because things they everything starts blending together all of the the ships end up in the same place Mm. and and they're all the same people and so you have to like you have to remember who has short hair and yes who is synthetic versus an android and all of you know where all of those things this is where all of those differences and details come into play but it's very tight and very fun i'm looking forward to it okie dokie thank you for listening to antimatter pod you can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com including links to our social media and credits for our theme music You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at antimatterpod, one word, and on Mastodon at antimatterpod on the 10forward.social instance. You can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we will finish our discussion of Q Squared. (laughs) 